I sensed some nervous laughter when he talked about the six pages. <laughs> There's really only like two words on each page, so it, it won't take that long. When uh, we first heard about Lockwood 13 years ago, the sales pitch was, you got to go to Lockwood. Shane is a great teacher, great preacher, and he always gets out on time. That was, that was the sales pitch. I'm not Shane, um, <laughs> but I will do my best to, to get us out when we need to. Um, this is the second week of Family Month, and I sensed in the worship this morning, there, there was a lot of the songs dealt with eternity in heaven. You know, the king is coming, and, and even the cry out, holy, 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 is, is the lamb. Um, in, in, in heaven, there's not going to be the family issues that we have now, right? I mean, it, this side of heaven, we're always going to be dealing with family conflicts and stuff. But it, it's so important, I believe, to talk about the families, because when families function the way God intended, they provide great illustrations of the way God acts in relationships, so it's great to take this, this month and focus on the family, but to keep in mind, this is how God loves us. For instance, we're going to be talking about commitment today. And aren't you glad that God's commitment to us doesn't mirror the commitment we see in many families in our society today? God says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. What if our family relationships displayed the deep, that kind of deep commitment to each other? You know, what if, what if, how powerful would that be? I mean, people would see that type of commitment, that real commitment, and understand God's commitment towards them. I mean, children need to see parents committed to each other and, and parents committed to them in order for them to understand God's commitment to them and trust him. I want to look at three areas today uh, that can help us live out that kind of commitment in our family relationships. Uh, the first area is to stay. People in relationships leave way, family relationships can leave way too early. Um, either physically or sometimes, you know, emotionally, they check out, they disengage from everything. I, I think that one of the, my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Ruth, and, and it's one of the best stories to show the kind of, com the kind of commitment to stay in a relationship. Um, it should be up on your screen up here, but it's, it's uh, shown in the story of Ruth and her relationship with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Uh, now, Ruth and Naomi, they should have never really been related in the first place. Um, what happened was there was a famine in Judah, so, so Naomi's husband moved them to the nation of Moab, uh, uh, Naomi and her two boys. Well, while they were there, uh, Naomi's husband died, and her boys both married Moabite women. Now, you have to understand that Jews were not supposed to intermarry with other nations like that. And they also um, were especially not to be connected with the Moabites. God had said that a Moabite should not be enter into the assembly of the Jews. And so they shouldn't have been connected in the first place. But both their boys married Moabite women, and then both the boys died. So it was just Ruth and her two daughter-in-laws. So Naomi thought—I'm sorry, it was Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws— um, so Naomi thought, you know what? Why don't we just end this right now? We'll send our two daughter-in-laws back. You stay with your people. And, and you know what? You, you got to find people to marry anyway. I can't help you there. So I'm going to go back and you guys stay here. Well, that, that picks up our story then in Ruth chapter 1, verse 15. Naomi, this is what Naomi says. Look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, 
Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. That's how everybody feels about their mother-in-law, right? Like that? I do. I will say that on record. Um, Ruth was committed to Naomi. Wouldn't it be great if everyone had the, the experience that Naomi had to have someone that committed to them, to staying with them like that? What would that do for a marriage? And I want to just kind of pause here to say, I, you know, I'm not talking about staying in an abusive relationship uh, in, in that kind of situation. And I'm not trying to make people feel guilty who maybe have left in the past. You know, if, if the past can be fixed, go back and fix it. If not, be committed in the relationships you have right now. But early on in our marriage, Becky and I agreed that we would never use the word divorce. We said, you know what, we're never going to put that on the table. That's never going to be an option. We're just going to, you know, and that was a commitment that we made to each other. And so when, going, when things got tough and things got hard, it forced us to stay and fix things. And, and um, you know, I mean, today in our culture, it seems my mom made this comment. She said, you know, what? we kind of have a disposable culture um, where we just get done with something and put it aside, you know, throw it away and move on. People used to fix things. They used to tinker with them, get them the way they wanted them. It, it takes work, but it's worth it. And rather than throwing away a relationship like it's some sort of unsalvageable dollar store item, stay, fix it. So how do you fix a relationship that is beyond, seems beyond repair? Well, there's a lot to that, and there's a lot of time and effort put into that. We're not going to go into everything this morning, but I think one of the keys is forgiveness. I think daily practice of forgiveness for, for the big things. Yeah, we all know about the big things that are hard to forgive, but sometimes the little things that add up over the years and wear and tear on us are almost just as hard. They seem insurmountable. They're like this huge mountain of things that enter into our relationships and separate us. We need to seek forgiveness and look for forgiveness. Uh, and there's the story that C.S. Lewis wrote called The Screwtape Letters, He's re he refers to a relationship between a, a guy and his mom, okay? So a mother-son relationship. And, and he talked about how it's to the point where even a little look or just a little comment can, can set one or the other off. And it's simply because of the whole past history that that little look or that little comment invokes in their minds. And, and it just sets them off. How often does that happen? We need to practice forgiveness Every day, we can't allow things to build up or pile up. When the mess is left again, forgive. When the nagging comment is made again, forgive. When the neglect is felt again, forgive. You have to do it, otherwise hopelessness sets in. It pushes you to leave physically or emotionally disengage. Your relationships are worth way more than that. But you say it's hard to forgive. No. <laughs> I know it's hard to forgive. I think Colossians chapter 3, 13, though, it has a key for us here. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How has God forgiven you? 
What kind of things has God forgiven you for? Big things? I know he has for me. How about the little things that we do on a day-to-day basis? The, the, the little things that we do again and again, the habitual habits of sin that we just can't believe that we did it, but there we are again right in that same spot. God has forgiven us, and we need to forgive that way. You know, he, he doesn't, because of what Jesus did on the cross, Jesus took our sins. So instead of God holding those over our head, he heaped those sins on the head of his son, Jesus, who bore God's wrath for our sin. Now he doesn't see us as that little sinner who did that again. He sees you as holy and as forgiven. Don't hold it over someone's head. Have a short memory that way. Put those things aside. Forgive. And start to see the people in your life, in your family, in a fresh way, in a new way, as you lay those things down. Hey, you may need to seek forgiveness, too. It's not, it's not that you just have to forgive other people. You need to seek forgiveness. And don't just say, I'm sorry. Um, that's something that I had to learn, too. Because those things that you do over and over again, hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, it, it's, yeah, sure, whatever. You're sorry, I get that. Stop and ask the person to forgive you. That puts it on them. Say, you know, I'm sorry. I can't believe I did that again. Will you forgive me? It takes humility. It takes being vulnerable. It takes admitting that you're wrong. But it puts that out there to them and, and, and allows them to make the choice, am I going to put this away? Or am I going to hold on to it? Ask for forgiveness. Now, it doesn't stop with just staying. That's the first step. We also need to show love to each other. But what if one person in the relationship decides that they don't love the other person anymore in the family relationship? So many marriages end in one person saying, you know, I just don't love you anymore. Maybe I never did. Can you expect someone to stay in a marriage or in a relationship like that when they don't feel that love anymore? I think the problem is, and I've, I've thought a lot about this, that the problem is that things are kind of in a, the wrong order. They're backwards. You know, the, those people are waiting to feel the feeling of love again for the other person. But I believe this to be true, that action precedes feelings. It's the actions that start first. You know, I could care less about the Wall Street Journal. Um, it, I know what it is, barely, but I, I just, I, I don't really care that much about it. But I don't have any stocks either. So, you know, it doesn't really matter to me. But I, I think if I started investing... And if I started to buy stocks, you know what? That Wall Street Journal would be mean a lot more to me. You know, I would, I would look forward to reading it. I'd be excited about having one and checking it out. And, and I think that the, well, I know the Bible teaches that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It, it's a spiritual principle that's true with money. As you invest in the kingdom of God, your heart kind of goes there too. But it's also true with relationships. As you invest love into the relationships in your life, in your family, your heart goes along with it. Why don't you feel love anymore? Maybe you're not investing love the way that you should. I believe that as you do that, as you invest, your heart will go with it. Are you investing in your family relationships? And what does that look like? I think to find out what it looks like, we need to go to the definition of love, God's love for us. And number one, that, that love is often sacrificial. It was for God, in Romans 5, 8, it says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Love often takes sacrifice. Also, God's love for us, in his love for us, he wants good for us. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God wants good for you and me. Is that what our love looks like in the family? You know, I want to love my wife Becky and my kids in such a way that they grow. Kind of like, I imagine like a rose that's sprinkled with water that starts to blossom and bloom. I want to sprinkle them with that kind of love in a way that causes causes them to grow into into who God intended them to be. One of the things that helped me to understand this, and believe me, I'm not perfect at it. I'm nowhere near, but it's my goal. It's my ideal. One of the things that, that helped me to understand this is to, is to understand how they feel loved. Uh, Gary Smalley wrote a book that many of you know about. It's called uh, The Five Love Languages. Uh, the five love languages are quality time, acts of service, gift giving, physical touch, and encouraging words. You know, the idea is that each of us understand a verbal language, one verbal language, more than any other, even if we're bilingual. Um, there's going to be one language that speaks to your heart the most. Uh, say you're in Russia, and you know some Russian. You know, you can speak some Russian, and you're in maybe a, a square, uh, a public square in Moscow, and there's people all around you, and you're hearing everybody speaking Russian, Russian, Russian. And then there's one lone voice that speaks English. Even if you know some Russian, your heart is going to go, your, your ear is going to go to that, that lone voice of English. Your heart is going to go that way, and it's going to be warmed um, because of that person speaking English. It's the same way with love. Study your family members. See if you can discover which love language speaks to them the most. And even if it isn't yours, because yours is going to be the easiest to give, work to show the one that speaks to them the most. Becky's is quality time. Um, we used to joke and say that it's quantity time. Um, but, you know, it's funny, though. It, it, so I try to spend that quality time with Becky, date nights and, and things like that. Um, not always conducive to being a youth pastor, quantity time and all that. But um, it, it's funny, as we begin to have more kids and get more busy, acts of service have kind of stepped up. And now I find myself, you know, doing more dishes, doing laundry and, and stuff like that, because that speaks love to a mom of four. Um, so look and study the relationships in your family and, and see how you can love. So as you stay and as you invest in love like that, even if the other person doesn't start out to be the right person, they become the right person. Even if the feelings aren't there, that the feelings come along with it. And, and, and they become the right person not so much because they change, although that can happen, It's more because your heart towards them will change. My grandma and grandpa, DeVries, they were uh, married 65 years. And when they first met, uh, my grandma's sister was dating my grandpa's best friend. And so they just had to hang out by necessity. And at first, my grandma thought my grandpa was weird. Um, He was kind of quiet, and she was extremely talkative, always was. Um, And... But he liked her right away, and so he started to try to impress her. And evidently, he could do this thing where he could walk on his hands for long distances. And he thought that was really cool. So he'd be on the beach, you know, he's walking on his hands up in Muskegon. And um, she's like, man, you're weird, you know. (laughs) Not working, not working. But eventually, evidently, he grew on her. 
and uh, they they were married. And uh, she just she just loved him, and and um, I remember being a kid, and he worked at a, a furniture factory in Muskegon for from when he was 16 to when he retired at 65, and uh, she would take his lunch to him most days, and I remember going with her, and he just she just showed him love, she invested love in him. Um, <clears throat> in the end, you know, my grandpa became ill with Parkinson's, and. Uh, it's a cruel disease. Your body shuts down, but you know your mind still is awake cognitively. And and uh, but eventually she couldn't take care of him anymore, so she he had to go into a nursing home. But she still went and visited every day for like two years. And uh, she would <laughs> she would go in and and convince the nurses to like let her spend the night and <laughs> stuff like that. And she loved him. Didn't start out the right person, but he ended up to become the right person. They became right for each other. So you you have to stay, and you have to love, and lastly, you have to pray. Prayer is vital to commitment. We we, we truly cannot live this life in, in these commitments in our own strength. And when we pray for each other, we tend to start to see the person we're praying for the way God does. So pray. Pray pray with your family. Pray with your kids before they go to bed. Pray with your, your spouse. Pray with... Uh, you, you know, the people in your household, before you go to bed each night, pray for them. Pray in good times. Um, I remember hearing stories about uh, my great, 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 I don't know how many greats are, grandmother who lived in Norway, and she would pray for the generations to come. Pray that God would work and, and, and that they would stay faithful to him. And, you know, I'm convinced that those prayers are affecting me today, and I'm so thankful and you may say, well, oh, I wish I had something like that in my life. Be that person who starts that. Pray for your family. Pray for your kids, their spouses, their grandkids. Pray that God would continue to work through the generations to come. Pray in challenging times. Pray through the hard things. Maybe there's a family member that's wandering from the Lord. The story of the prodigal son, you know, it doesn't mention prayer. But I love the attitude of the father toward the son. The story says, you know, the son is off doing his thing. He's, he's taken the money. He's, he's wasted it all. And, and he comes to his senses. I love that. He comes to his senses and says, maybe my father will take me back as a servant. So he starts to head back home. And uh, listen to the story that Jesus tells. He says, when he, meaning the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This tells me that the father hadn't given up on the son, you know? He kept looking for him. It, it wasn't like he was just doing his thing and happened to get, look up and notice, oh, hey, look, at he's coming back, great. Uh, no, he was intently scanning the horizon, looking for his son to come back. I, I think that needs to be our attitude in prayer. For family members who are wandering from the Lord, um, this story hits home with me. You know, it's it's my story. Um, I wandered from the Lord for years. Um, started in junior high, went into college. You know, drinking, drugs, partying. I grew up in a Christian home, but but wandered. But um, I had people in my life who were committed to pray for me. My mom prayed for me. 
she prayed for me on a regular basis. She prayed in, in her Sunday school class, not in a gossiping way, but there was a lot of, that's a powerful thing to have a, a Sunday school class of women praying for you. Okay, that's a, that's a good thing if you can get one of those. Um, my dad prayed for me. Uh, my grandma prayed for me. My grandma Cooley uh, died when she was 97, and she, uh, she was a prayer warrior, it turns out. She, towards the probably last 10 years of her life, she couldn't see very well. She could never really hear very well. Uh, I get that from her. Um, but so there wasn't a lot she could do in the last 10 years. I remember her big magnifying glass that she would use to read, like, the large print. She would hold that thing, and, you know, we'd take it outside and light ants on fire and stuff. But she, you know, she used it for reading, and sometimes we brought it back. Um, but... When she died at 97, we went, and my parents went, and they found, going through her things, and found this huge, extensive prayer list. And, um, <clears throat> okay, I've been emotional, like, all month, so i got to really get through this one, because this one always gets me. But um, she, uh, you know, I, I was on that prayer list, and, and she was praying for me throughout all the things that I'd done, all the, all the time. Uh, that I was away from the Lord. And at her funeral, her best friend found me and she said, you know, Matt, nothing bad was going to happen to you because your grandma prayed jealously <clears throat> for you. So you have to stay. You have to love and you have to pray. That's how you stay committed in the family. Let's pray together. Father, you are committed to us. Help us to learn to be committed in our family relationships. Help us to learn commitment from you. You said you will never leave us, never forsake us. Father, use our commitment to strengthen and nurture the relationships in our family to cause the people around us to grow and become more like you. Cause us to have deep, rich relationships which honor you. Lord, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could have a relationship with you. Lord, help us now to, to be committed as you're committed to us. Help us to love as, as you love us. Lord, help us to pray for the people in our family. Lord, and I pray that you would do a mighty work in each of the families uh, in, our, in our church here at Lockwood. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.